Welcome to episode one of Weekend at Crombies. Our first movie is Santa Claus the Movie. Welcome to the first Weekend at Crombies. I am your co-host, my name is Hugh. And uh, I am uh, James, James Evans, Esquire. Biologically father to one, but philosophically father to many. We are going to be looking at movies, and I don't think we've got any closer than giving it a theme for that. We are looking at movies that have occurred to us to look at. I think yeah. that works. That um, works. I, I, I usually find that, that things that I enjoy doing are things that occur to me. So in, in that way, this, within reason, within legal parameters... So therefore, this this acts quite nicely as as fulfilling two distinct functions. I enjoy watching films, and I enjoy talking about films. Indeed, and we've added the third thing is trying to maintain an internet connection, which <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not as easy as it looks in the twenty first century. Yeah, we should tell our lovely podcast listeners that we are in fact not in the same country. Uh, we are we are <laughs> using the miracle of the internet to communicate with each other. Yeah, as as millions of people do. <laughs> So if one of us sounds like they're in a cave, that might be because they are. We just don't know. If, if we are, if one of us is in the cave, it's got better internet reception than I do in my house. So I've had to move seats already once today to get the best reception here. That, that was in the pre-edit, um, but uh, it was golden yeah. stuff. It was it involved a lot of moving. Without further ado, um, let's just get to the, the structure. We are going to be <laughs> blessed relief. <laughs> we are going to be looking at Santa Claus the movie. Uh, this was as as everyone switches off. <laughs> Bear with us. Bear with us. Santa Claus the movie of 1985. It was the tale of Santa Claus the movie. Um, uh, before we that, that's maybe a film I'd like to see. Actually. A, a film about the filming of Santa Claus the movie. Yes, Santa Claus the movie. The movie. The movie. It did. It did have again a troubled production, and it was not, by all accounts, a financial success. So this is. A wonderful reason to look at it. Um, yeah. Before we before we, we really you know get our hands in the dough, let's let's recap the plot of Santa Claus the movie. We open in what appears to be the medieval times in a in a, a Christmas Eve in a barn um, full of peasants. I think is probably the best way you can describe it. It is. <laughs> yeah. the, I'd call them lumpen proletariat. I can smell the barn. Um, there's a distinct absence of animals, but <laughs> nevertheless, the, the, the wretched and the poor are gathered together in some kind of hovel. Yeah, although a very posh hovel, because there's an old lady with the best received pronunciation accent you'll hear, um, telling yeah. all the children about the Vendigum who come out on yeah. Christmas Day. Yeah, I also like the fact in this hovel, all, all, all they want, all the kids want are presents. Typical. <laughs> but anyway, they're, they're basically these these people are hanging around in their in their hovel in the uh, in the snow, waiting for um, someone to come, and it wouldn't be Christmas Eve without him. And his reindeer can get through, uh, and who could it be? Um, mm. It turns out to be um, an overweight woodcutter called Claus and his <laughs> wife, who who apparently do the rounds in this location, delivering uh, hand whittled wooden toys to the children. I mean, what a coincidence that his name's Claus as well. That was lucky. I know, and he's he's a big guy with a white beard, um, and everyone seems to like him, and he seems to like the kids. He kind of, you know, he 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 brings out a smile in all of them. And there's a moment when uh, his wife Anya kind of, you know, says he 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 makes the time because he loves seeing the happiness and smiles on their faces. 
bless him. <laughs> and then he possibly makes a, a potentially fatal choice to go out in the in the blizzard when they warn him you'll never yeah. make it, because apparently yeah, yeah. the other village needs their toys too, and this village can't yeah, wait, yeah. can't wait a day to get their toys. They gotta yeah. have them right now. And if uh, Claus and his wife and their two reindeer die doing it, well, you know that's just collateral damage. <laughs> Yeah, this other village desperately need wooden toys <laughs> so we, for their overprivileged children. <laughs> so we had the we had the twinkly beginning. We had the nice little story about the elves. We had claws come in, yeah. and then it does get quite dark because they go out in the it snowdrift. Does. They get lost. Yeah. The two reindeer yeah. collapse immediately. Uh, claws gets out and gives a rousing speech that involves them saying, "You'll die in the snow if you don't get out." <laughs> I mean, it's um, it's it's. Cuba Gooding Jr. level of um, uh, Jerry Maguire style speech, isn't it? It's that rousing. It, I thought. Well, there's a lot. There's a lot of stake. There is a lot of stake. It weren't, but they did weren't roused, so it's not that rousing because the reindeer stayed. No, it's true. <laughs> the reindeer. A, a, a glorious failure. Yeah, and then Anya, his wife, starts to panic and goes quiet, and then Claus starts saying things like, "Oh my God." And, and, and cuddles her, and then the snow covers them all, and it's and, it's pretty bleak. <laughs> It is pretty bleak. Yeah. However, the movie doesn't end there. It turns out they, they haven't died, or did they? Um, but they've been magically transported to a magical kingdom, apparently in the North Pole, which is very chocolate mm. boxy. It's very uh, twinkly lights and, uh, and and lots and lots of elves march out with their, their elf yep. torches. It turns out they're there to uh, to rescue Claus and his wife and their reindeer um, and tell them that they belong here in the North Pole now. It's an oddity, because... Admittedly, um, Claus has died and has been resurrected, which is an odd thing to have happen to anyone, yeah. I would imagine. I mean, you know, there's obviously one other famous story of uh, uh, someone um, being resurrected um, that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, and there's lots of parallels as well with, with um, the story of Jesus Christ and Santa Claus. I, I, no, there is, I think. In this particular film, there is. Okay. But they, they take it with good grace. They, they take it... They're very stoic. They are. They, they, just, yeah. they just accept that this has happened to them. And they are being brought into this magical kingdom with hundreds of short men um, kind of worrying, worrying around them, uh, busying themselves with, with, without, without really a single question. They don't seem to care much about getting those toys to the village anymore. That was life or death two minutes ago, and now well, yeah. it's like, well, they ain't getting their toys now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No one's getting their toys. And, yeah, yeah well, I, I, did, I, find that, I find that very strange. I, yeah, we'll, we'll probably come on to it, but there's, there's, there's lots in that first half an hour that I find bewilderingly strange, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we should also mention that the elves are led by uh, a British character actor who names himself Dooley. He's kind of the, the entry point into the elves. He's the, the administrator yeah. of, of Elfland. Um, yeah. and, but also Dudley Moore is there with it with a couple of friends, kind of hanging around, um, being Dudley Moorish. He's kind of he's criticising, not criticising, he's yeah. critiquing Santa Claus's sleigh, um, and things of that yeah. nature, because um, we learn later he's a bit of an inventor, and then he he charms Mrs. Claus by uh, calling her nice and pretty, pretty and nice. Um, yeah, and which isn't creepy in any way, shape or form. <laughs> um, but there's lots of there's lots of interesting characters in in here. So Melvin Hughes. Is is one of the elves? You know, I think wasn't he in Ain't Half Hot Mum? They had a couple um, of Ain't Half Hot Mum along. I think yeah, um, yeah he's in there. Um, yeah, he's, uh, he's, Christopher Ryan is in there. Who was one of the young ones? Oh, Mike the Cool. Which is, he doesn't speak yeah, at all. Yeah. He's, he's the, he's no, he the last speak. one they make fun of. Yeah, yeah, really? yeah. He's yeah, he's a fact. He, he is he's the special needs elf, which is which is sad because 
it's not inclusive at all. I mean, they just basically bully him. Well, there were no elf women um, at all. Either, no. No, so I suppose they've got to release the tension somehow. <laughs> but there's clearly elf ageing, because some elves are older than others. Even though no elf appears to age in the, over, over the course of the movie, there are elves oh, yeah. that are definitely older than other elves. So clearly there's an elf... There must be some kind of elf procreation. But before we get into this, we're, we're kind of straying from the well, plot well, into the mechanics have... of the world. We are, we are, we are. We'll get on to the analysis shortly. Yeah. Although I will say, yeah, this is the beginning of when Dudley Moore appears as the elf and he starts really pounding the elf puns. Um, yeah, every every other sentence he says is some kind of wordplay. And it's not even clever wordplay, it just substitutes elf for self. So you'll have elf confidence <laughs> and elf esteem and elf reliance. And, and anything Dudley Moore will say will have elf in it somehow. Um, elf and safety. Big they, issue. They, they don't even do elf and safety. They could have tried no, they replacing elf. Yeah. Could, yeah, national elf. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Yes. <laughs> but, but anyway, Santa and his wife and the reindeer are dragged back into the the elf kingdom, and it's in fairness, inside is a very chocolate box nice elf workshop. It's all colourful. There's it, wooden toys there. It's beautiful. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah, and the music, the music does it too. The, when, they, when they open up Santa's Charles. massive warehouse, the, the, the score swells and it's like, this yeah, is something really pretty. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna, in case you've heard any beeps, I'm turning my phone off because our <laughs> wives are wishing us well <laughs> and, and ruining the podcast as they do so. <laughs> Sorry, they're having, a, they're having a conversation on WhatsApp about what a what an achievement their two, their two husbands do when they lock themselves away yeah. and, uh, and have this kind of thing. Yeah. Talk about Santa Claus the movie for an hour. Indeed. <laughs> They must be so proud of us. So we we were last at the um, the elf workshop, and in fact, yeah. as you said, m- the first forty minutes of this movie is all origin and and largely montage. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we we haven't, it is. We, we haven't it hit is. the montage. We've, we've had one montage so far where the elves are doing their their jolly elvish thing, where they they make the toys uh, and they. Uh, there's, there's, it is brilliant. Yeah. It's. A, I mean, I actually actually noted that down. It's one of the, that, that to me is one of the best parts of the film actually the, the first the first montage where they get going about their business it's it's choreographed brilliantly and it's really fantastic music and it's, it's i think it was fantastic yeah it sticks with you they're going all tapping their hammers into rhythm they all go out of bed yeah. and they turn the names it's a bit of world building really because they didn't need to do yeah. that much but no. i think that and a bit later on they mentioned season's greetings which you don't really know what it means but yeah. it's, it's like a star arrives at a certain point and that kicks off the Christmas season. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. It's filled by it, and it's not necessary yeah. at all. But it's it fleshes out the world of the elves. It, it, yeah, it work. They work as markers in the sand, don't they? So that you can orientate yourself around the story in that context. You know what this is about now. You know what's happening, and I think that was really well done. Yeah. Those two. Th- those are two standout scenes for me, actually. Santa Claus. He gets his red suit. Um, because Dudley yeah. suggests doing it red, and, yeah. uh, and Puffy, who I'll return to, Puffy is the is the other <laughs> other prominent elf in the in elf land. Yeah. He's kind of Dudley Moore's opposite number. He's very conservative and um, has yeah. a fairly rubbish beard. Um, yeah. He suggests brown, and everyone's like Puffy. You can tell yeah. you tell that night Puffy was just kicking himself. Saying, I wanted to say red. Red was my first instinct, <laughs> but I went with brown. Um, but he has, a, he has Santa has a nice red suit. The, the the Santa is starting to being built, um, and. And on the first Christmas night, they, he's got his, uh, his whole team of reindeer. He's got eight of them, um, and, and, the, and and a very very old elf is led on. Um, he's so mm. old he's got like twelve elves carrying his beard. Um, played yeah. by none of Burgess them. Meredith. Burgess, Burgess Meredith is playing the old elf. Um, yeah. Who, by the way, isn't introduced. No. Or anything. <laughs> There's no context for this elf. He's just wheeled out. I don't know who he is. Who is he? Is he God? <laughs> yeah, I think what, he's just, what is he's, well, he's, he's, he's just built, an old elf. He's billed as just really, yeah, the really. I think he's billed as the really old elf, 
Which is fair enough. Ancient, ancient elf. Yeah. But like this, well, I, yeah, I, it was an odd, I found that quite an odd con- context because everyone's like really reverential because he's old. Yeah. But it's the first time, it's the first and only time he's seen. Yeah. I thought, yeah, I, I remember as a child that it, it made no sense to me. Um, who is this guy? Because it seemed like Dooley was in charge, but no, it's, it's, it's this mm. elf is the reverend. This old man, man yeah, um, who nobody's mentioned before. Yeah, but thinking about why it was there, it does give it a nice bit of gravity. You know, they, they're doing the whole kind of this is this is the bit where it really sets out the stall that this is Santa Claus's mission. Is mm. and this is a chosen one who would come to us. He would be a maker of toys. He would be he yeah. would love all children. He would deliver our yeah. goods. And I think yeah. you need you need that to be said at the start of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you need someone who basically isn't one of the jolly funny elves to say it because if like Dooley yeah, has gone, Santa, yeah. you are going to be the chosen one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. It's a bit of gravitas. You, you need, it? it's yeah. a bit of gravitas. And if Burgess Meath did it, I think he, he brought a lot of nice gravitas to it. I thought, I was expecting when I saw his name, like, yeah, my dumb punk Santa Claus, <laughs> you're gonna get a lad slay. But it's good. It is good. I did think though, because it was there was a nice there's a hush. You know, the elves are hushed. Santa is like you know got a lump in his throat. He's he's being told he is eventually going to be this immortal figurehead. He's no longer a man who makes toys. He's going to be you know the gift to the to the world. But then yeah, right after yeah. that, the elves skip past with reindeer dust, and they start feeding the reindeers, and the jolly little tune starts up again, and it kind of pulls the rug in, because it's like, Santa Claus. It's like, you kind of wanted a bit more of a, of a moment there. Um, but, well, but yeah. yeah. I, 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 quite liked, I quite liked that, though, that, that transition. I mean, it, for me, it, it had to get on with it. A little bit at and, that and, point. And, I think and, yeah, it, and, needed, it needs to, to move on. Well, the thing I found interesting with that particular bit, though, is is okay. I mean, I appreciate we're still discussing the plot here, and we're, we're probably within the first eight minutes of the film. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> but, no, we're half an hour in by this point. It was it, it, it took a long time to set it stall out. Yeah, but there, at this point, Santa Claus has died, been resurrected, gone into this ice palace in the North Pole, has witnessed, has been told he's immortal. By the way. Um, has has witnessed the elves toiling for a year on the toys um, that will eventually be, part, be passed over to all the children of the world. And at no point has he questioned what's happening. But but more importantly, at no point has anyone told him what's going on. Yeah. Because he doesn't know until that moment that he is going to go and give toys to all the children of the earth. Why wait for a year? Why not <laughs> well, do that at the moment he turns up? They, Surely they, that's they, what they, I, yeah. I want to know that immediately. We'll, we will come into this when we discuss the themes, but you're right. There's no point when the, Mr. Claus, the guy, says, I'm not sure I want to do this. I want to go home. Yeah, yeah. Or hang on. Uh, all right, I've been here for a couple of months now. And, um, you know, your hospitality, very nice. Thank you very much indeed. I appreciate that. You've, you've treated my wife and, and, and I very well. And um, Donna and Blitzen, you know, could, could, we couldn't ask for more. But what's going on? <laughs> could someone please tell me what's happening? You know, yeah. I didn't, I'm, I'm immortal. What? Even that, just what? It is funny because it's almost because we know who Santa Claus is. We know we know he's going to pick the red suit. We know he's going to have the eight reindeer. Yeah. It's kind of like they know too because when as soon as Burgess Meredith says you will be known as Santa Claus, does anyone know what? Because his name's Claus. Let me know what Santa means. It's like oh, maybe Santa. it's his first name. <laughs> so he and he's like, yeah, I know, I know. I've been I've been called Santa Claus for like fifty years. It's it's who I am. What do you mean? Just tell me what I need to do. What am I doing here? Don't don't repeat back to me my name. That doesn't but, mean anything. 
<laughs> but anyway, the, the reindeer have munched their, their golden sparkly things, which does come into play, but that's the, the MacGuffin of the movie, is the golden sparkly reindeer stuff. And so Santa Claus then gets in, and ho-ho-ho, he, he's very he's very keen to do the ho-ho-hoing, um, just rockets off into what could yeah. be at least two or three montages. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, it kicks off. You, you see time <laughs> passing, so he starts off, I looked at the hourglass, it's kind of around the 13th, 12th century yeah. when the hourglass starts, yeah. and he just get, goes on, and lots of kids get their toys, and there's a, there's a children's choir yeah. singing about, thank you, Santa. Um, <laughs> and, but also, there's a really, there's a really good um, uh, uh, kind of... There's a lot of... Um, uh, carols. Uh, the, the music's really good at that point as well because yeah. you create. There's a, there's a montage of carols as well, which is really good. So yeah. for each century that passes, there's a different carol that uh, is being developed. Oh, at this point oh time. Yeah. And I don't. I, I, what I don't, I don't know whether each particular carol is distinctive of that particular century or that time. But as as the time goes by, the, more and more carols are sung in the background, which I thought was a really nice touch. And what it does, it moves the story on very nicely. It's a it's a quintessential piece of filmmaking, I think. Yeah. Moves the story on quickly without any words, and you know exactly what's happening at that particular point in time he's establishing himself yeah. as the Santa Claus yeah. but also nothing marks an 80s film like a huge montage oh yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. and you know could you be any more literal by having an egg timer <laughs> but he establishes himself as Santa Claus to us not to the world we don't we see the no. occasional child holding a toy happy but we don't get yeah. the sense of the world is now realising because this has happened and they weren't expecting it to you know from the last year there was no toys under the tree now there's lots of toys under the tree yeah exactly um, yeah. there's that also again we, we come to again the, 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 the Santa himself evolves we get the uh, the fact he, he gives toys to nice children and naughty children yeah. because there yeah. is a, a, a troubling cat torture sequence yeah there um, is which I found quite distressing I thought you might yeah. I, that, I, was, I was thinking you would not like the, uh, the, the poor cat um, and, well, well there was a there was a lot in the film there was a lot in the film that I'd forgotten over the years yeah. but I hadn't forgotten that well, you see, and uh, the little girl, Miss Sarah Foster, um, writes to Santa and tells of how naughty her brother was. Um, and really, the response to Miss Sarah Foster is, you know, snitches get stitches. Um, but instead, yeah. Santa decides he's going to cut everyone out now. So presumably for the last 500 years, because this is a, an 18th century thing, he hasn't yeah, realised children can be naughty. They've all been either very yeah. good up to that point or he's just been oblivious to it. Yeah, um, there has been some absolute scumbags who have got yeah. brilliant toys. <laughs> I mean, there, there has. I bet there must have been. Yeah. There'd have been, like, I don't know, yeah, animal abusers, torturers. Uh, oh, but, but, you know, they get their wooden toy, didn't they? Yeah. And then they all get the wooden yeah. toy. And then we, 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 so we go to another montage and then we cut again when we hear The Night Before Christmas being read aloud, which is... Yeah quite meta but also quite fun um, yeah. especially when yeah, the Dooley again has to read out the part where Santa's fat so he fat shames Santa um, and, <laughs> yeah. and then they cut to the, the, uh, the ultimate um, sequence of someone is having a diet because they're, they're glum and they're chewing yeah. celery <laughs> yeah exactly yeah that's brilliant actually um, but yeah so uh, but then then we kind of slam into the present day which is again the 1980s present day mm. and we hit something that resembles a plot so we're 40 minutes in yeah. we've had our origin we've had our several montages and now we yeah, and the film's only about an hour and 40 minutes anyway yeah. so the yeah. a large bulk of the film is the setup yeah yeah and i think this again we can come to the theme of it but this is i think because it's santa claus colon the movie they they set mm. their stall out and they want to tell you about santa claus yeah. the movie it's not just <laughs> Santa Claus has an adventure in the 1980s, and this no, is the story. No. It's, it's we're going to do the big origin story, but we'll we'll come down into the actual plot. We see uh, yeah. we see uh, what is it? We see Joe first, the uh, the shivering little urchin, um, 
and then yeah. uh, and then the the poor little rich girl Cornelia sees him from a window, yeah. um, and then puts out some food for him. And it's very Victorian, isn't it? It's very Victorian in that but context because Joe he's got like soot on his face. I don't know where he's got it, the soot from. Very like, it's sweet. Yeah, although we yeah. do find yeah, we'll, we'll come to Joe, but he's like um, he's definitely 1920s. He's depression here, is Joe. Yeah, he's, um, yeah, he's, yeah. He's, uh, yeah, Cornelia, you can imagine living in the 1980s. Joe, when he meets um, anyone, he's all like, hey, what are you doing, you dumb yeah, Keep yeah. away from me, yeah. or I ought to slug you. <laughs> and, and also, you know, rather um, uh, presumptuously, within about a minute of meeting Cornelia, he calls her Corny. <laughs> which just which really got my back up because how well, you know how she, dare he well, how dare he that's not her name well he should know his place you mean well just yeah yeah he should, well, it's just rude it's just rude my name's not corny corny's i mean you wouldn't you wouldn't shorten it to corny anyway well, it's implied they know each other because she feeds him um, not unlike someone would feed a cat it must be said i think they were trying to establish that she's a nice person and, and, and yeah. feels for him but also she just, yeah. she just lays a bowl of food yeah, on the floor she feeds the homeless with a yeah, but she she puts the boat massive fridge. She puts the plate on the floor and goes, "Little boy, little boy," <laughs> and, then he, yeah. and then he he's like a hedgehog. <laughs> he's, he's like a hedgehog. The thing that bothered me. Oh, sorry, you got a bit of bread and milk. No, she yeah, she gives him like a, like a, I think she gives him a turkey dinner. It's, it's it's good protein there, but she also gives him a can of coke. I'm thinking he's freezing in the cold. <laughs> the last well, thing he I needs is I'll nice get onto some of the product placement in the film. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Due course, but there is there is there's one particular scene in the film um, which I, I'll, I'll hold back on, but but it might be my favourite scene in the film okay. actually. Um, but we'll we'll come on to that. Okay, so um, so we yeah, so uh, we've established there's a little a little homeless boy called Joe and a, a little poor little rich girl called Cornelia, and is it now Santa Claus befriends Joe? Once again, he he's riding yeah. around New York saying what a wonderful thing is there's no child unhappy every child is happy on Christmas Eve mm. which portrays again a bit of myopia towards the state of the world so I'm sure there's several billion children unhappy at any one time well I was going to say we don't see his trips to sub-Saharan Africa do we yeah yeah he's probably meaning yeah. every that... child with a fireplace is happy right now and then the only one succeeds and it meant, yeah. Yeah, San- Santa's one experience with children over the last 800 years is when they're unconscious and asleep. So probably he's, he just thinks they're, they're wonderful, happy, you know, well-adjusted. Really quiet, well-behaved. Yeah. He's, he's, no wonder he loves children. Yeah. <laughs> this is the secret to Santa's jolliness. He doesn't have to deal with children when they're awake. Um, but he sees he sees Joe and decides to, um, to, to befriend him. Joe, who was previously seen... Uh, regular guys dressed as Santa in a cynical fashion they're kind of pocketing the charity money and drinking from a brown paper bag and this kind of stuff um, so Joe clearly doesn't like Santa and is a bit rude to him when he arrives in the, the kind of the depression era dialect he's adopted um, but immediately turns around Santa Claus um, shazams him to the roof of a, mm. where his reindeer are parked and Joe is suddenly sparkly eyed and going oh my god you really are Santa gee whiz well, I mean, th- th- but also there's no there's no um hiding of santa claus's identity or anything i mean oh yeah he just he just he's like yeah i'm santa claus a bing disappear and they're on the top of a of a, of a, a tower block and i mean joe takes it all fairly well the fact he's being I think. Now. admittedly admittedly we've established that santa claus didn't really bat an eyelid when he was told that he was immortal <laughs> so this is a world this is a world in which strange and unusual events are passed off as fairly standard unless you're a cat torture in which case they'll throw the book <laughs> at you <laughs> but they go they go for uh, again uh, Santa Claus treats Joe to a flight um, around New York with his reindeer um, and in fact this is a 
it's, it's I, I was watching this and it's reminiscent of the Superman flight, really. If you think yeah. about it, when the Superman takes Lois Lane for a flight around New York, yeah, it's there's, the, there's a lot of it in there. Yeah, yeah I agree. It's it's, the yeah, there's a lot of it in there. The, the flying, the, the, I mean, I actually think they've they they, they they did the flying really well for the time. Oh, I yeah. thought, I mean, they, it still stands up quite well. It's not perfect, but it's not bad at all. But you can see there's a lot of Superman in this. Yeah, there really is. Yeah we'll, yeah, we'll come to that in the thematic things. That's what I was thinking yeah. too. But again, in terms of you're right about the flight, and I think it was actually getting the real life reindeer and these effects that broke the film's budget. Um, you probably was, but, yeah. But in fairness, you've not seen before or since that kind of live action. You know, if, if you you know if you want your kids to see Santa Claus the movie, which this is, yeah. you get your reindeer, you get your Santa Claus. He's there already. Um, yeah, and the reindeer are really kind of well designed animatronic style mechanical creatures. They're 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 really well executed. Yeah, yeah. Some of the things, yeah, so a mix of real and animatronic. Um, yeah, and any any people that haven't seen the film, that's not a spoiler. They aren't executed. <laughs> it's it's that <laughs> they're, they're, they're well designed. <laughs> that would be a different film. Speaking of executions, <laughs> there is a moment. Um, so, so Santa Claus is taking Joe round the various houses and he stops at Cornelia's house um, Cornelia has, has stayed up late to sneak a peek at Santa um, and Santa gives us the strangest he says oh boy I hate it when this happens and you think if Santa <laughs> yeah, loves children he'd love to see the light of his I thought a silenced revolver is the next thing he's going to do like, the secret of Santa <laughs> uh, must be kept <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Joe you're, you're, you're with me now you've got to bury the body you're an accessory Joe come on get your shovel <laughs> we feed them to the reindeer. That's how the Santa Claus stays a secret. But he doesn't do that. He gives he gives her a, a toy piano and and she, and she gives him some cookies. That upset yeah. me as a child. The whole Santa eats cookies because in my mind Santa ate mince pies, and in this world they eat nothing but cookies. Yeah, yeah, and and as a as a kind of piece of social realist filming, you expect those. Um, those details, those nuances, to be perfectly formed. So when he eats a cookie, it, the internal logic of the film completely goes, doesn't it? That's it. It's gone now. I can, you know, I can't believe anything else in the film because he's eating the cookie. <laughs> also, he says chocolate chip, my favourite. No, that's that's redundant. You need to say chocolate chip's favourite. Chocolate chip's everyone's favourite. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's just saying, ooh, raisins. You are spoiling me. <laughs> yeah. I love this carrot you've left. Is this carrot for me or the reindeer? Just the one carrot to share between the eight reindeer. It's a good job I feed them human flesh every now and again. When they <laughs> it's the, yeah, I find children's bones far far more effective in giving reindeer their their balanced diet. Yeah. So having set up now these two these two cherubs, we don't see them again till next Christmas. But Santa flies home, and there is a comment that kind of due to the population explosion it's getting harder work for him because he's got to give a toy for every child but there's lots more children out there um, yeah. so he then he faints into his bones that's the lumpen proletariat for you Hugh. Know, they run, that is uh, the lumpen proletariat for you the surplus population as Scrooge might say I know. Um, but they decide when he claps into his soup that he needs an assistant and this is what kicks off the main bit of the plot um, is when he has an, he decides to essentially audition for an assistant uh, mm, yeah. So and again, um, <laughs> this is back where I'm feeling sorry for Puffy because they, when when Santa Claus's wife and and Dooley the head elf are discussing who could the assistant be, you can tell they'd like it to be Patch because they're giggling already, saying, "Oh, one of them's going to bounce to mind. We we can think of someone." And they're like, yeah. "Oh, well, let's make it a contest. Let's give Puffy a chance." <laughs> Um, and so Patch, being Dudley Moore, um, and establishes some kind of mad inventor. Um, He's and, and whereas Puffy is a traditionalist, he believes in handcrafting wooden toys and you know 
putting your heart and soul into every toy you make. Yeah, yeah. Which, I think, I mean, yeah. you know, what's 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 wrong with that? <laughs> you think that was exactly you know? Santa's alley? That's that's pretty yeah. much what Santa's been doing since the film began, handcrafting. Yeah, exactly. Toys. Yeah, <laughs> that, that is Santa Claus's eternal decision. That's that's what he's been doing ad infinitum. That's his, that's that's him. I mean, why would he suddenly change? I mean, it's, <laughs> that's just ridiculous. It's very, it's a very um. It's very 80s in that regard. Yes, because, again, Dudley Moore sets up uh, an assembly line, um, yeah. the Patchomatic, which which makes toys, uh, but, of course, um, which does make good toys. It automatically churns out all these little buggies and stuff. But yeah. Dudley Moore's hubris gets the better of him, and he, he, ra- he cranks up the speed, and all of a sudden these toys are being made without bolts in, and they're being made shonky, although they do come out looking okay. So presumably they're being held together with paint or whatever. Um, but the, the toys the, the toys <laughs> look okay when they, when they come out. And um, not for long. Not for long. And but Santa, seeing that Dudley Moore's made a million toys and poor Puffy's made like three, um, three yeah. very nice toys, immediately yeah. rewards beautifully them. crafted, yeah. industry standard. Yeah. They'll last you for decades. This is obviously Santa's idea of how to recruit as well. Though it's just like let's not have interviews right. or anything. Let's have a big old competition. And all I care about <laughs> is churning out the toys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so Santa's not a great, great um, person in in, in HR. No, he's not a great manager, is he? He's not a great people person. He's not a great people person. So anyway, Patches won the contest. The a million shonky toys are churned out and given to the children, and the subsequent Christmas they all fall apart. Yeah, um, as as you would expect. There's one great scene where there's a, um, I think it's a bike or a, a car, or like a trolley, yeah. which is which is unhinged and then rolls into the middle of the street for a, and a bus unceremoniously just runs over it without kind of slowing down or you know, anything you know there's no there's no rhyme or reason for it. it you think you think the bus driver would have at least had some kind of thought well there might be a child around here there's a, That's the thing, a because a lot of children were riding in the trolleys um and so this trolley was a runaway trolley but yeah could have easily had a kid gone which when you think about that doesn't make you feel so good towards patch obviously uh, yeah. these toys get returned um, somehow, yeah. but they all they all fly back to the North Pole, and Santa puts two and two together, um, and Patch yeah. is pretty much summarily dismissed. Um, yeah. he, he kind of resigns before he he jumps before he can get kicked out, but he's but he's he leaves. But the funny thing is, in his kind of in Patch's low moment when he's now been dismissed as Santa's assistant, he mutters something about, well, you know, he just doesn't like me. Um, mm. And that's why he leaves the North Pole. He thinks Santa Claus doesn't like him, and he's got a. I mean, what himself. would have given him that impression? Well, I think other so. than all of the toys not working for the yeah, whole year. I think so. you weren't fired because he doesn't like you. You were fired because you did a terrible job and endangered <laughs> yeah. children. I think that's a good reason to be fired. Um, so this this is the funny thing. We'll come to it again. Patch's arc because it really, if you think about it, Patch, is more of a protagonist than Santa. Patch, Patch has does things that that drives the plot. Santa is kind of just yeah, there yeah. as as. The, the embodiment well, of, of everything. I, I think, yeah, I think that's that's reflected in the um, the credit order. So you know, David Huddleston yeah. as Santa Claus is only third on the billing, yeah. despite being the eponymous hero of the film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, Deadly Moore was. This is mid eighties. Deadly Moore was box office yeah. at that point. Too, yeah. Although, yeah. given that, again, we'll, we'll come to the casting. I think Dudley Moore was not was not giving it his all. Um, I don't, I don't he, think so. He, Patch, but not that he was doing a bad job. Patch is a is yeah. a charming little man, and Dudley Moore is also yeah. a charming little man, and I think that's about yeah. as far as he, he went. Yeah, he's playing himself a lot, yeah. wasn't he? However, we then cut. Was so Dudley Moore leaves the North Pole, um, having stolen the magical reindeer golden dust mm. that makes things fly, which comes important. And he thought, you allowed to take that away from you, Patch? Yeah. 
Yeah. And also, I don't know where he stole and Where does he keep it? Because it looks like he steals a handful. Yeah. But as the film progresses, you realise that he must have stolen like a warehouse worth. I think it was like a fungus, and you know, one small thing uh, will, will, will generate spores. Yeah. Um, because yeah. there's clearly a master pot of, of, the, of the golden stuff. That <laughs> yeah, generates there must be, yeah. But... Um, but yeah, so he leaves the North Pole to seek his fortune. But then we cut to, I think, an actor who we can say really is putting in a shift. Um, because, yeah, because he's, he's brilliant. We, we come to uh, John Lithgow as the evil industrialist BZ, which is, again, is the most 80s name they could have given him. Yeah. Um, he's, I'd, forgotten, I'd forgotten just how over-the-top and brilliant his performance yeah. is in the film. It's it's a sight to behold. Yeah, I hadn't realised either, because when I watched it as a kid, he was just a, yeah. an evil villain. But now you watch yeah. he's bringing yeah. every emotion to the, to the film. Oh, it's brilliant. And yeah. his face is contorting. And um, Anyway, so we first see him, he's, a, he's in a kind of Senate hearing, because his toys are yeah. basically lethal. They're hilarious. <laughs> I like the fact, yeah, they rip, they rip the teddy bear and there's <laughs> nails and sawdust. Yeah. I mean, you've got, talk about literal. Yeah. Talk about literal. There's no subtlety there right, at all, is there? I know. But also, you think it's, it's going to be harder to put nails and broken glass in a panda than it is to not. <laughs> Not do it at all. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so John Lithgow uh, or BZ is being told his toy. Basically, he's in trouble because his toys are, li- are horrible and he must recall them all. Um, Patch the elf then sees all the BZ toys being ripped off the shelves and assumes it's because they're really successful. So mm. approaches John Lithgow, um, where once again they they. But I think John Lithgow has a hilarious scene where he's he's approached by this elf who says, "I want to help you make a magic ingredient to give away for free." Yeah. Um, which BZ kind of eventually sees the uh, the merit of in terms of public image and also to settle the, the suckers up for the next one. Yeah, because there's there's a great scene in his office where um, he again it's it, he, the, the film is is um, really good for characters taking things at face value. I mean, at least at least the John Lithgow character, at least BZ has some incredulity at the fact that this elf can disappear and reappear yeah. in his office at various points but it doesn't take him long to just get over that oh, no, go, it, it, oh, you... oh yeah oh okay fine here we go it, yeah this man can this man because he must assume it's a man not an elf because he yeah. obviously you know elves don't exist this man can can contort himself into small spaces in my office at the click of a finger but it, it's the, it's the scene where he goes um, free, free, <laughs> and it looks like he's going to have a heart attack, and it's brilliant. That, that was very well done. Um, yeah, it's it's all in expressions. He's he's doing a yeah. lot. <laughs> Yeah, and, and that's the funny thing. Dudley Moore is just kind of sitting there. I know Patch is meant to be quite easygoing and, and just saying things, but that's all he does. And John Lithgow yeah, exactly, is yeah. sort of doing three acts from Hamlet um, on the other yeah. side of the table. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, there's over there's overacting, but I don't I don't think the role I don't think that's fair. I think the role calls for the the most the the most complete overacting masterclass yeah, of yeah. the 80s probably absolutely and this yeah, the whole thing if it's a pantomime he needs to be the pantomime needs, yeah, and that's yeah. exactly what he, he brings break. it's a fantastic yeah. role yeah. Um, so we we probably skip to what, yeah, what Patch's plan is Patch essentially plans to make lollipops infused with this golden reindeer magic mm-hmm. that will make children float um, mm. And he also has a delivery system, which is the Patchmobile, which is essentially a chitty bang bang flying car, yeah. also fueled by this stuff. Um, the interesting thing is that's that's the entire method he has for delivering the lollipops to yeah. every child in the world. Um, he doesn't have Santa's magic. He doesn't have the, the passage of time with him. He has a flying car. 
Yeah. And he still does it. He still does it. So clearly, so, you know, fair, fair play. Yeah, well, actually, the thing is, we're assuming he doesn't have the passage of time, but maybe he does. I mean, who's to say that the elves don't? I know, true, true. Part of the process, aren't they? I mean, yeah. I've got to keep, you know, we're, we're, we're on thin ice with the internal logic of the film true, anyway. True, true. Let's, but, not, but let's not unravel it too much. <laughs> Either way, yeah. So the patch, but also again, interesting patch has a modern vehicle that he zooms around in Santa mm. Claus is still in his old fashioned reindeer and sleigh yeah, and, slay, and there's, yeah. there's, there's, there's the old versus new is being set up there Patch, Patch is the future he's yeah, he, he does these modern methods he's he's doing industrial line Santa Claus is yeah. is still doing this kind of stuff I find it interesting though that the the, the phantasmagorical toy the, the the thing that is going to sell um, the product the, the idea that Patch has this fat, this all-encompassing, all-consuming, literally consuming um, idea for a gift that will be given to, to children each Christmas. It's just a lollipop. Yeah. You know, I, I'd forgotten about that, actually. I'd forgotten that in the film. And I thought, oh, well, yeah, what was it now? Was it some kind of robot that transforms into a car or something? Oh, no, that's been done. It can't be that. <laughs> it's a lollipop. It's just, okay, okay it yes, makes it makes float. people float about. Yeah, okay, it makes people float about. But, yeah, I mean, you know... Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm hard to please, but I was just thinking, yeah, all right, it will soon lose its appeal. Well, as soon as you've eaten it, I think was <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And it would never, get, it would never get past health and safety. It never <laughs> get past health and safety. What was that you said about internal logic of the film? <laughs> okay, Even a, a magical um, renegade elf is leaving yeah. floating lollipops yeah, that's true, that's... I know I think it, again it's it's odd that Patch came up with almost something you know chemical or in, in that ingenuity because all his other solutions were you know sort of modern industrial production lines which you'd assume BZ would say yeah we invented mm. that 100 years ago it's called Henry Ford yeah um, so yeah, yeah, I think exactly. I think actually using the, the yeah the magical reindeer stuff he's kind of yeah using Santa's own stuff against him um, I suppose and there's, yes I suppose that's something that, that BZ couldn't have produced himself yeah yeah um but it is a huge hit, you know. It makes it makes uh, Beezy, uh well, massively successful again. People want more. Not not wealthy though, because it's free. Not wealthy because it's free. Um, however, it's never to... quite established how that's going to help him. But you not is it not? No, there's the 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 the, the, the backup plan is um, or the the next stage of the plan is where it I, comes I, in. I know I know that there's a kind of Christmas two idea which we'll come to, but yeah. it, I, I can't quite see how giving away all this stuff for free is really going to help him. Really? Yeah, well, well, we'll come to BZ's varying motivations. BZ is basically as evil <laughs> as the plot requires him to be, and yeah. he does zip around in what he yeah. wants to achieve. It's basically, yeah. it's always bad, but it's never quite the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's so, so anyway, this the idea that everyone loves the lollipops and everyone hates Santa, although presumably he's now delivering good quality toys now that he's he's got Patch out of the works. Um, but I suppose, yeah. So we, Santa's is depressed. It's, it's mostly because Patch has run away. Um, but Santa Claus is there's a moment of doubt and it's the, kind of the one moment when Santa is doubting anything about himself and not ho ho hoing his way through or adopting orphans and this kind of stuff mm. he's just sitting glum and kind of saying oh, maybe they yeah. don't want maybe they don't want the, my old toys maybe I'm just yeah. an old fool um, I think he becomes petulant <laughs> I, I, I didn't like him I didn't like him in these scenes there's a scene where um, Puffy provides him with 
like a, a doll. Yeah. It's, a, it's another doll, isn't it? He's like I've developed this doll. It's, it's, you know, it's beautifully presented. Yeah, the, yeah. Cra- the craftsmanship in it is is second to none. It's quality. It's children, bespoke. Children ought to like it. Is this, it yeah, children ought to like it. He's yeah. laying his heart out in front of Santa. Yeah, he is, yeah. And Santa, Santa Claus just just looks at him like he's an idiot. <laughs> and he, he's like, it's a doll. You know, what do you want me to do with this? Now he says, does it fly? Yeah, does it fly? Yeah. Well, you know, no, it doesn't. It doesn't fly. It's a doll. Well, and people comes, love comes it. back with a great comeback. It wets. <laughs> yeah. And I think anyone with knowledge of children would say they would love a doll that wets. They can't get enough oh, yeah, of it. Yeah, that's funny, isn't it? Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, which is again, which again puts poor Puffy. It's such a a, a, a moment of bathos when Puffy. Yeah, just it like, is. Yeah. It wets. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's Gil. It's Gil from The Simpsons, isn't it? Yeah. That's what it, it's that kind of. It, it, it's it's that level of, of pathetic. Yeah, and then Puffy's sent out with a flea, flea in his ear again. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, um, but so yeah, so then so then BZ is is clearly overjoyed because now he's he's convinced Patch to make Christmas 2 in March 25th because he can't wait a whole year and this is when his money making plot comes in everyone has to send him money if they want the next flying thing Um, I like the way you send him money isn't that just buy the product yeah it's very good how they don't just say put in the orders they just say and they're sending in cash as well yeah like like you would do when you had to purchase a product yeah and and he he, he does allude to the fact it's going to be hundreds Um, so but what what he's selling them now is no longer floating lollipops it's flying candy canes right Um, and yeah and because again I've forgotten that as well and I had in my head that they were going to roll out flying cars because that that surely would be the exciting thing right it is actually the moment the patch mobile is revealed is very exciting yeah. it's it's, yeah. A, it's quite a moment so as a businessman he's thinking ah it's fantastic yeah we're gonna have these floating candy canes yeah not not the floating car I, you know i just say candy canes are easier to churn out in the millions than <laughs> flying cars yeah, but flying. Yeah, but flying car. But you've you've got the ingredients for the flying. All you need to do is produce the car. Yeah. The car itself is not a hard concept to sell. I, and this one flies. I I liked the the, the car reveal because um, at the end of the runway was BZ, the flunky, and three extras who were clearly told improvise enthusiasm for as long as until I say catch, because you have the five actors there just yelling, come on, come on, yeah. come on, for a yeah. long time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> However, there's there's a problem with the candy canes. Um, yeah. Uh, too strong, aren't they? Too strong. They were well, not too strong. They uh, they explode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're too flammable. Yeah, when 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 left near extreme or even moderate heat, because they mentioned that near a radiator does it. So I wouldn't call a radiator extreme heat. I would no. call a radiator, you know, a, a comfortable yeah. temperature, and that causes oh, the candy yeah. to explode. Yeah. To the I would extent- imagine in, in in chemistry and physics, yeah. radiator heat would be described as very very low level heat. Yeah. But that does cause um, an entire room to be annihilated, according to the narrative. <laughs> yeah. So that's quite Ter- a dangerous... A terrible decision. Yeah. Um, BZ, on the other hand, uh, is, has no intention of stopping production because he's been paid already. Um, yeah. Although prior to learning about the candy canes, um, he, he is uh, congratulating himself, saying Santa Claus is finished. They'll be writing to me, BZ. Which you then mm. you think, this is his new plan. He, does, he plans to supplant Santa Claus. Which yeah. makes sense as kind of he's the villain of the piece. He would do that, yeah. um, and as soon as he finds out he's not going to do that, he decides to run away to Brazil. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is what I meant by he he, he moves with the plot. Whatever, whatever, he whatever he's required to be randomly evil, he will be. Um, yeah. So so that he's he's always bad, yeah. but the ways in which he is bad are determined by where the plot needs to go next. Yeah, and so it's, it's almost like he, his his badness is the MacGuffin almost. Yes, yes. 
And prior to learning about the candy canes, because that's, that's the big secret, yeah. um, he discovers Little Orphan Joe in his basement, because Joey's trying to recover from a cold that Corny mm. has let him in to, to recover mm. from. Joe sneezes. And, and you know, in, he, he sneezes. I mean, just, come on, soul boy, Eric, don't sneeze. Ah, <laughs> oh, what? However, though, this, again, this is where we come back to BZ being as bad as he needs to be. BZ, upon finding a vagrant child in his, in his basement, um, doesn't call the police or child services. He yeah. locks him away. <laughs> like, put that kid on ice. It's like, why, why are you kidnapping him? That's a crime you could you could just send him on his way he would have a legitimate cause to call the police it would be legitimate the police would come they would arrest him well they might not arrest him but they would take him away and and joe hasn't him away they didn't have to worry about him joe hasn't heard anything incriminating by this point this is the thing he's uh he's he doesn't know about the exploding candy canes because it's important that he doesn't know later on in the story but bz yeah kind of flips out and locks him up ties him in the dungeon um and and then, then plans to run away to Brazil when he learns about the exploding candy canes. But um, Cornelia has heard all this and, and writes a letter to Santa Claus, um, who immediately has to rush out, even though two of his reindeer are sick. So he's, he's two yeah. men down already. Uh, and, and also, it's another it's another example of Santa Claus favouring two specific children in all the children in the world yeah. for a very specific reason. Yeah. You know, uh, for some unfathomable reason, Santa Claus has he's he's strikes up a friendship with Joe. I don't understand it myself. Joe isn't a particularly engaging or charismatic um, character or actor, even, in the film. Um, and, you know, Corny is a whiny child um, who demands that Santa Claus comes to rescue her and Joe at short notice. And he does it. And you think, God, what a... Oh, what a sap! But he doesn't—it's not even for Cornelia. He, she's there because she told him. He does it. Let's do, yeah. it, for, let's do it for Joe. Um, let's do it for Joe. And he's saying that to the reindeer. Let's do it for do this for Joe, like yeah. the reindeer. Why? You know, he's been in basically two scenes with Santa Claus in the whole film, and they've got this incredible bond, that father-son bond. Yeah. Although I will say they, they did allude to the fact that you sense there was a, the reason you know Santa Claus and Mrs Claus back when they were human and alive oh, yeah. couldn't yeah, have they, children. They can't have children. Because, yeah, I get that. Because yeah. there's, there's, a, there's a moment of points. We'll come to Mrs Santa Claus, who we've skipped over in the plot recall because she doesn't really do anything in the plot. No. We, but uh, she, there's, there's a bit of a side of she goes, "We have no children." And then Santa yeah. Claus later says, "He imagine if we had a boy, he might be like Joe." And you're thinking, yeah. "We dodged a bullet there, Santa, if you give yes. me like yeah. Joe." Yeah. And I mean, in many ways, that's why Santa Claus is chosen because he is father to all the children, isn't he? Um, he yeah. doesn't have a child himself but he, he, he he's father to all the children although he now favours Joe um. yeah. yeah exactly yeah. and as long as those children are white yeah. and western yeah. that's well, we, fine yeah, yeah, that's we, fine. Never, we never did the reveal that BZ is Cornelia's um, step yeah, uncle great great uncle step or something uncle. yeah step uncle so, that's so it's, it. yeah, he's, there's a re- she's an orphan too but she's living with her step uncle yeah. and her nanny um, and once again um there's again a classic pantomime villain reveal. He kind of swivels around his chair and cackles yeah. manically when yeah, he says happy Christmas. Cigar, yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I'm trying to think: is there a reason that needs to happen? Um, maybe because it brings Cornelia and everything into the whole plot. The fact he's the I suppose, yeah, I, I, it, <coughs> it, it creates an additional layer of threat as well. I think in that in that particular context because it's it becomes personal, it's familial. Um, so it's it's not an external type of danger. It's something that's very close to home. I think that adds that. Yeah. I mean, there isn't a lot of threat in the film. Yeah. I don't. I don't think really, 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 there isn't a lot of threat. But that that is that is an added bit. Yeah. Um. So again, Joe jo is taken to the uh, the the candy cane factory and locked up, where Patch immediately finds him. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah immediately yeah. as well. <laughs> and, I, and I actually had to transcribe what Joe said because Joe is, is really livid at Patch because he thinks that yeah. Patch is the is the reason everyone hates Santa Claus. And Patch lets uh, Joe lets fly with Patch with um, the most PG and again 
Depression era um, insults you can think of. He calls him a dummy, stupid, idiot, stink-faced creep. <laughs> um, which, of course, makes poor Patrick recoil in horror that he, he could be any of these things. Um, well, you, if someone said that to me, yeah. you, I, you <laughs> don't want to know what I'd do. Surely, surely, Ooh, surely, James, surely James, someone has said that to you in your, in your life. <laughs> well, I've been, called, I've been called a stupid man. And I held it together quite well. But if someone called me a... a what was it? A dummy, stupid, idiot, stink-faced creep. Yeah. No, I'm laughing that. I'm getting angry now. Oh, I, yeah. The hairs the hairs on my back. That's right. I said it. The hairs on my back are standing. Well, anyway, after letting fly with this expostulation... Joe nicely, again... nice, nicely ignoring the hairs on my back statement. Keep, let's keep going. We'll, we'll lose it in the edit. Um... <laughs> Joe again turns around he, uh, they have a scuffle um, a little carving that Santa Claus made for Joe comes out um, yeah. Dudley Moore picks up and goes it's me it looks nothing like Dudley Moore <laughs> it's, it doesn't, it's does the it? old no. thing where they do in films where they've cut down a portrait or a carving yeah. and it's like it's you it's like that's not you that's not yeah. like you <laughs> what did the props guy have to do but Dudley Moore recognises himself in it and then it looks more like George Burns <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, or, um, yeah. If George Burns had played Pat, that'd have been a whole different movie. <laughs> <laughs> but from this, Dudley Moore's story kind of concludes because he goes, "He likes me. Santa Claus likes yeah. me." And then yeah. that's like, oh, that's well, it. Well, well, that's, it like, that's basically the end of the film. Then, but that's, yeah. I mean, I know that there's a, there's yeah. another there's another fifteen to twenty minutes, yeah. but that, that's the end of the story. And yet, that was never the lesson that Dudley Moore had to learn. His, his no. the lesson that Pat had learned was be careful about the things yeah. you do. Yeah, um, take pride yeah. in your job. Yeah. yeah, which he singly is that because then he loads up his flying car with exploding candy canes, puts Joe in the car, and then mm. flies off to the North Pole. Yeah, it's not. It's not. Yeah, the lesson isn't. Uh, people, I want people to like me. Yeah, uh, that's that's a rubbish lesson. So, so they get into the exploding car. Um, the, the, the candy canes start to smoke and fuse. Santa Claus chases after them. Um, goads mm. the reindeer into pulling off. Uh, the, the super duper loop, the famed yeah. super duper loop, but which I don't know how that works to rescue them. But we're that's to, exactly what I was going to say. It is completely redundant. It. They don't need to do it because the super duper looper involves flying under Patch's car, yeah, yeah. Which, 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 which would be enough. <laughs> yes, looping around and then flying there. under it again. Yeah. But if yeah. you presumably go fast enough to catch up with the car and go under it, you've done your job. You've done your job. Yeah, it, it, it is a completely redundant act. There is no discernible reason why Santa Claus would decide at that point to choose to do that very difficult and dangerous um, stunt well, unless he wanted to teach Patch a lesson and say you know I, I can absolutely rescue you right now but I'm just going to tease it out a bit longer because you've yeah. been you've been a you've been really a, a real scumbag here. <laughs> so here we go I'm going to do the super duper loop and maybe I'll rescue you or not. I think we'll have to well, see what happens. Also, it's lucky because basically the, the car blows up. Joe and Patch get thrown into the air, and then it's fall into sand. It's very lucky, and it, involves yeah. the, it does yeah. not involve the super duper duper one wit. No, I, mean, I would imagine that the, the, the point at which the car blew up, Santa Claus was thinking, "Oh, I should have just, <laughs> I should have done this. I should have just saved them. I've got, I've got a dead child and a dead elf on my hands now." <laughs> we'll scoop him up, feed him to the reindeer. No one will know. No one's coming looking for Joe. <laughs> but the, uh, I suppose, but, yeah. I suppose he, he had the he had the rich kid in the sleigh with him, so he yeah. he'd be all right. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Let's protect the rich. That's yeah, the moral exactly. of the story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I will say the reason for the super duper looper shenanigans is twofold. I think one is to show that Santa Slade can go faster than Patch's machines. So it's like the old, you know, if you've got grit, because he keeps yelling, give it the old yeah. college try, which is yeah. a very preppy thing for a 13th century Santa Claus yeah. to say. Is, yeah. um, but they do it, so it's to show that the sleigh is better than the Patchmobile. But also they do it because Donna the Reindeer, the only one of the eight reindeer to have a story arc. Mm. Yeah. Do- Donna, Donna's the one who's afraid at the beginning. Patch yeah. has to befriend him. Donna yeah. can't do the super duper looper. He's uh, and you know Joe says, "Hey, Donna, don't sweat it, man." <laughs> and then Donna does it. So Don- Donna the reindeer has a thing that goes on. It's, it's a very small arc, but it, to be honest, it's more than Puffy gets. <laughs> yeah, and the and the elf that doesn't say any words, but he's bullied. The, the mute elf. Go- no, it wasn't Goober. Goober was uh, the anti man. Anyway, so so the kids are rescued. They're flown back to the North Pole. Uh, they're kept there. I thought they would have been kept there forever, but they know on revisiting it, they're kept there for a year. They're sent back next Christmas. Can we stay for the year, just for the year? Yeah. I mean, Joe, I can understand, but surely Cornelius has, has lawyers who will be looking, you know, yeah. they'll, be, they'll be after some kind of severance. Well, that nanny's out of a job, for one thing. Well, yeah, exactly, yeah. And she's got, like, how much would she be inheriting? Yeah. Get, get back! Oh, yeah, that's what we should mention, actually. Um, in between all this, this flying patch business, BZ gets his comeuppance. I, the, the police who... Yeah. Oh, call and, you know, actually, this is one of my favourite scenes in the film yeah. as well. And I don't know how they do it. I can't figure out how they filmed it, because it looked... It looks very clever. Oh, d- describe it, please. Okay, well, the uh, the police have arrived at BZ's factory. His, his flunkies... Mm. He looks out the window and sees his flunkies being arrested. Cornelia yeah. has called the cops, and apparently they believed her, that he had an elf and a... a he'd kid- but she just only kidnapped a boy, and that would be enough. That, that would get you yeah. arrested. That would, yeah, it would, yeah. yeah. So BZ now panics, goes to his office, whips open his drawer full of the magical candy canes, stuffs a load in his mouth, um, and then the police open the door. He's by his open window with candy canes dripping from his grinning visage as he, he snickers and then <laughs> steps out of the window and rather than flying away like Superman, yeah. finds himself floating uncontrollably into the stratosphere. Yeah. And it's so that what, moment what, where they, they flip from yeah. office to outdoor. Yeah, um, yeah, this is it. This, that's the scene, yeah. yeah. I think, and I, I, well, I really like that scene because it, it, it's composed very well. So you flip from inside to outside. He's on the ledge and he jumps off yeah. and the camera is below him yeah. looking up and... It doesn't look like there's. It, it doesn't look like a green screen. It doesn't look like it's cut and paste. It doesn't look like it's wires. Yeah. And he's floating there, and then very slowly he floats off, and it doesn't look fake. No, it's a it's a good one, and it's and that's that's the the end of of Beezy. Although we do, the end of Beezy. Although we, well, what, you do what, see him a bit later because yeah. he can apparently breathe in space. But well, this is the thing. Once the uh, once the, once <laughs> well, again once Santa has as they're all dancing. They all got a big dance number like the Ewoks at the end. The elves are dancing. Yeah. Santa's dancing with the kids, and that's the end of the movie. I uh, would yeah. say yeah. Patch once again is. Is, is around his mates cheering what a rescue he had rather than saying yeah. Patch what have you done yeah exactly yeah. I noticed, he's I noticed, very egotistical he's very self-serving yeah. I think Patch I, I disliked him profoundly Yeah, I noticed P- that Puffy is no longer wearing the assistant apron either so I'm kind of considering <laughs> Patch is taking the prodigal son they've slain the fatted calf they've ripped the assistant apron off Puffy they've given it back to Patch <laughs> Um, and they all have big yeah, no one learns no one learns anything no and they, and they all well this is the thing let's, let's, let's talk about Puffy and Patch the, what yeah. they should have done is kind of had a scene of them shaking hands because basically Patch can churn out toys Puffy is very good with quality assurance yeah. that would have been a they good partnership they could work together to, yeah, yeah. they never be a great them. partnership yeah. Yeah. mostly because Puffy is very underdrawn and has a stupid beard and, and gets to have doils that wet themselves <laughs> but if you're talking about a theme in a the movie 
the idea yeah. of, of craftsmanship and, and you know and carving toys and all this kind of stuff and the fact that it has a place in the world still in a world yes. of mass production and pandas yeah. full of broken yeah. glass and nails and yeah. sawdust um, I mean the 80s wasn't great for that for no, that no. idea that there was a place for craftsmanship and, and artisanal activity and um, kind of dedication to a to a profession specifically it was just about churning stuff out spending yeah. money buying yeah. things throwing things away yeah and then the 80, the, last, the last scene is once they've had their dance number we float to the, past the North Pole the land up yeah. into the stars and the yeah. last person we see is BZ who's floating yeah. into space still yeah. yelling get me down um, yeah and, and, but who he's yelling to I don't know and how he's alive yeah I, I, don't, I don't think he's going to be alive for long I think that, that was the, the end of BZ which brings an interesting question is that BZ scoffed a lot of candy canes but we had maybe three or four you know he 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 munched them he picked up a handful and stuffed them in his mouth and that caused mm. him to fly into space to his death <laughs> yeah. now bz is probably three to four yeah. times the weight and mass of a child yeah. so are we saying that patches candy canes would have launched every child in the world into space and in fact his he had lethal sweeties that he was going to deliver to every child who would have scoffed them down and and in fact a uh, an annihilation of children was prevented by Patch, who once again probably didn't test the candy canes, just churned them yeah. out, um, just used the formula. Once again, Patch is at fault for not having good quality assurance. Well, there, there is an alternative Santa Claus the movie story, which um, I think when we get into the kind of themed analysis, yeah. I'll, I'll discuss. But there, there's a there's a lot there that I think would make sense if if some of the decisions about the production of the film had come off in the first instance. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good time. We will take a break and we will we'll head right into um, the reason we chose to look at this film and indeed yeah. the, the, the analysis of themes. We are going to look at the reason why, let's say I chose this film. This was my turn to choose a film and I chose Santa Claus the movie to be the first one of the, of the, of the weekend at Crombie film review. I think I saw this movie when it came out. I... Yeah. Definitely remember having the poster that came inside a free children's magazine because it was on my <laughs> wall with the creases down the middle and everything. And yeah. given that, I must have gone to see it because it's the kind of thing exactly my parents would have felt happy taking me to. Yeah. Um, so I must have seen it. And it was a perennial after that on sort of the BBC Christmas time. Yeah. And it's, it was on a lot as well, wasn't it? It's one of those films as well, which I think, because it was released in the mid-80s, it, it was at a point at which, speaking personally, I was becoming aware my memories are they they go back to about the mid 80s if i'm being honest so i remember being aware of the film understanding the themes within it understanding the plot and because it's a christmas film actually quite enjoying it as well yeah we should point out this because you were a child in the 80s not because you have dementia and you can only remember no yeah that's right (laughs) you're not 70 (laughs) i'm not not 70 living in the 80s yeah you've not blanked out the cuban missile crisis because it was too traumatic But yes, I was a similar age, and it, it was it was of that. It was a good. It was again. It was a good perennial thing to watch. You always watched it before Christmas because it was always a Christmas yeah. Eve run-up film. It oh, never, definitely. It was never the Christmas film, but it, I mean, but yeah. For goodness' sake, there'd be no point watching it in mid-January, for example. <laughs> no, not <laughs> or reviewing it. No, no, and, and yeah, reviewing it and taking the best part of an hour to go over it would be the least <laughs> sensible thing you could do. Um, but the other reason I had when I was thinking about old movies I'd like to watch again, it just mm. got me thinking that um, this movie has a lot of the same structure beats as kind of the dominant movie form now, which is the superhero movie. Um, Apart from, again, Superman came before this, the the, the first one that kicked it off, but this almost follows, is closer to the beats of ordinary guy, has an extraordinary experience, 
he yeah. goes to he you know he gets the gadgets the reindeer he gets the the unit yeah. he picks out the almost the iconic thing it's like if Spider-Man is choosing his Spider-Man suit that we know he's going to end up with because we know what Spider-Man looks like well, that's we know exactly Santa's going to pick the red yeah. outfit because that's yeah. what Santa Claus looks like yeah, um, yeah. and it, it, it's a, it is a superhero film yeah. with an origin story and it may be the first superhero film if you if you again super, Superman was before that but in terms of following the pattern that is now set of you mm. must have an origin story because Superman. Yeah. Had a be- you know had a beginning to his story where he grew up, but he didn't have an origin in the sense of he acquires his powers and he acquires no. his uniform and he acquires his motivation. He just does his. He is already Superman, isn't yeah, he? Yeah. I mean, well, he I suppose he he is he's he's Superman when he lands on Earth, but he he already he has that persona, he has that identity as well. Yeah, and if you were to draw a line then between Santa Claus the movie and Sam Raimi's Spider Man and Captain yeah. America and like yeah, and the Marvel universe, the whole, yeah, the whole Marvel shebang yeah. when they origin someone, it's like this is what they do. You you get your yeah. ordinary guy, you give them the experience, you give them the uniform that's bright and colourful and iconic, and you know they're going to end up with. You have fun with them. They fly around. They you know they meet people. Yeah. They have a villain at the end that they defeat, yeah. and then you you set up for the sequel, <laughs> Christmas yeah. too. Uh, yeah, and it, it, it's interesting that um, I, I had in, again I I've hadn't I've not seen this film for a long time, but I, it was a stock film in the late 80s and early 90s when I was growing up that I would watch regularly you know at Christmas it was one of those films that I looked forward to and enjoyed because of its Christmassy feel and because of the kind of the place it holds in my youth in that regard and I I kind of forgotten a little bit about the detail of the origin story in the film itself i had i had no recollection of them freezing to death for example yeah, yeah. which shock I mean, I mean that is a bleak scene when they when they freeze to death it is it is, i mean it's, it's borderline shocking because it's not it's not quick either it's a slow death and there's real dread there yeah um, because he uses the phrase you'll freeze to death yeah, you'll freeze to death. And also, it's, up to that point, it's very real. There is no, yeah. there's no colourful North Pole. It's, no, it's there's very, no, it's, exactly. it's brown and earthy colours, yeah. and it's in yeah. the snow. I will say, yeah, the, the snow did very much look like someone was in the studio throwing soap flakes at them, because yeah. they hadn't quite advanced to that <laughs> level. But it, yeah, it's, it's certainly played for realism. Well, I think the other thing, the other thing that that um, in, intrigued me when I watched it again, I know that you, you've said about the almost the kind of the blueprint or the framework from which more modern superhero films have been cut i suppose the cloth from which they have been cut i guess i i, I mean i suppose if you if you speak to um i don't, I don't know who directs the films if you speak to people like jj abrams or or um people like that they probably wouldn't cite santa claus the movie as the as the <laughs> kind of the predecessor and nevertheless you can see some of those tropes and some of those themes in it but i i also I, I'm, and again i know that we're talking about those modern superhero films but there there is also a lot of actual superman in the film as well so the flying i think is is a direct has been directly influenced by superman the the ice palace is such a um it's such a kind of correlation to the ice palace that that superman takes um lois lane to it's you know he's he's the fortress of solitude it is it is it's a very similar process and it's you know and when you look at the producers of the film Ilya ilia salkind Produce the Superman movies, produce the Supergirl movie, yeah. and then produce this as part of that process. Yeah. Ah. See the lineage coming through. He also says Santa Claus doesn't lie, which was again something that Superman yeah. said his stall against too. There is this iconic immortal figure um, that is yeah. better than you, that's <laughs> flying down yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. The, the other, the other, the other key theme, and you know, the, the, 
this might be stretching it a little bit, but the other key thing that I saw in the film, and again, this this won't come as a surprise if you enjoy watching superhero films, because I think that there is a very sh- strong link between most of the kind of superhero films and a, a kind of religious undertone or a, or a connotation as well. And I saw quite a lot of religious rhetoric in the film. And, you know, I mean that in a kind of like it was an interesting way to do it. It might not have been deliberate, but there was certainly a lot there. So the opening sequence when Claus is delivering the the toys it's it's almost like a feeding of the 5000 as it were they're they're waiting patiently for these toys there's a resurrection scene where he dies and is is brought back to life the, the elves are like angels almost and they live in this palace with heavenly gates um there's the fallen angel in patch um who is who is cast out of um santa claus's home because of greed and because of the idea that he could be better than what was being delivered you've got you've got the burgess meredith character who is almost like a a, a godlike figure a kind of a a, a, a father the son and, and the holy christ as it were so I, I, there's there's a lot there but you do see a lot of that in superhero films as well the the ubermensch as it were that the idea that the the individual is is immortal you know that whole thought they they care for they care for the the subjects of the earth as it were they have a moral purpose there's a there's a i i thought the kind of religious undertones were quite strong in that context as well yeah it's a rare superhero movie where the the, the superhero isn't laying on his back with his arms outstretched at some point yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it, it's true and, and i yeah I, I found that quite interesting actually and i quite liked it i mean the thing the thing i would say about it is that it, it with all of those things with all of those links it 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 reminds me of for me it's the quintess it's one of the quintessential 80s films in that regard it it brings back such emotions and feelings at the time if i'm honest i can't remember sitting down and watching santa claus the movie but i know i did because i've seen it before but what it does more than anything else it 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 kind of kickstarts a kind of chemical reaction in me which is about unpacking some of that kind of emotional feeling that you get when you're a child and Christmas is coming. Yeah, yeah. It was really Christmassy. I know <laughs> I know that sounds stupid for a film called Santa Claus the movie. Yeah. But the first the first half, the first forty minutes, is is beautifully rendered. It's a beautifully rendered Christmas movie. Yeah, yeah. I which like I'd want yeah. to show which I'd want to show to to, to Robin, my yeah. son. I, you know, I'd, I want him to experience that. It's a, it, I think the first the first forty minutes were great. Yeah, that's why I was happy to get a copy of it because I I knew that. Um, yeah, as soon as the boys get to watch it, we're going to watch a yeah. lot of it. Um, yeah. Uh, and you're, you're right. And in fact, if you know, if this were say, you know, an action movie, that first forty minutes would be the biggest action splash they could do because that's when they really throw a lot at it, saying, "This is yeah. Christmassy. This is the good feeling. This is the elf workshop. This is the, this is the grotto to end all grottos." Yeah. And they throw it at it. Um, I'd say interestingly, with the reason why we can, there's clearly a divide. We've talked about it already. There's the the origin yeah. montage and the, and the what do you call the plot of the story. Yeah, yeah. Um, and almost the, the the issues with it is because there's no antagonist until yeah. that we get into the, the modern times. Because he's an immortal character, he's you know he, it's hard to set up an antagonist at the beginning because you have to, you know he's got to have a a regular antagonist who's BZ. Yeah. I yeah. did think, and when I saw this as a young thing, was the little boy who was a cat torture meant to be BZ? Until I realised he needed to be about two hundred years old. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Although yeah. I thought again they, they could have maybe they could have hinted something. You know, little baby BZ is not getting his present because yeah. he's mean. Um, yeah, maybe. But I thought more than that is. In a, in, if this was a superhero origin story, there would be an instigating an evil or a, a negative for the superhero to react against to become mm. a certain way, and yeah. there isn't. He's he's a nice no. guy 
you know, he gets he dies in the snow, but he's basically told to be a nice guy, but even yeah. more so. Yeah. And I thought that that didn't need to be because you know, there is a theme in there, you know, when Santa Claus is glum, saying what happened to the spirit of Christmas giving and gift yeah. and everything, of Santa Claus is nice because the world is not always nice. Um, yeah. And they don't really hammer it home, but they could have done that. Could have, the reason he's giving toys to all these villages is maybe the village is starving, maybe these villages are under yeah. depressed by some cruel uh, fife lord or whatever, and you know those toys are the best moment of their, their year, yeah. and that's why yeah. he's willing to risk death to do it. And they yeah. could have done a bit more with that, saying Santa is, is always nice, you know the world is bad, and Beezy is just the latest example of how bad the world is. Um, they don't yeah. really do that, yeah, which is why it feels like I it's an origin story, yeah. and then it's another story. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I completely agree. I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I mean, it was great that the John Lithgow character was given given the the screen time because he's a fantastic character in it. Yeah. Beezy is a great character in it. But it, I, I, if I'm honest, I wanted more of the origin story, and I wanted more of where that led him. I, I don't know what that would be in the basis that okay, Santa Claus already has a well established character arc yeah. in. In, in in culture so you can't really do a lot with the character because it would be daft because everyone knows that's who he is um so you're kind of restricted in terms of the kind of the kind of characterization of the specific individual but as you say what you can do then is you can make sure that the plot and the story itself has that moral arc yeah. rather than the character himself and because and so, therefore, I, you know, as much as I loved the John Lithgow performance, he's in the half of the film which was far less successful for me, yeah. far less interesting, um, and far less meaningful, I guess, as a consequence of that. You know, I found I found the last forty-five minutes, you know, it it it, it didn't hold my attention as much as the first. 45 minutes shall we say yeah. and it's because you're right there isn't that kind of core strong antagonist that is a direct kind of link to santa claus or the process that he's going through yeah. um it, it's a bolt-on almost because they need it to move on they need this they need it to be a story about something it can't just be about it can't be kind of like a documentary about how santa might live well here's the here's the funny thing is um yeah you're right in that is that there are essentially two films. One short film is called Santa Claus the Movie. The other yeah. short film is The Adventures of Patch the Elf. Um, yeah, That could have been you know, a movie or a cartoon about an elf in Santa's workshop yeah. who goes too far, gets banished, meets John Lithgow, has fun and games, and Santa Claus is kind of almost a secondary character who saves the day because he's Santa Claus and he's benevolent and benign and, and all-powerful. Yeah. But you don't need to have the origin stories because everyone knows who Santa is. But then at the beginning of the fifth, you have another short film, the Santa Claus the Movie, that is, yeah. this woodcutter comes and becomes Santa Claus in a small figure but then that's it he just delivers toys um yeah. and they, there's no what they, they they bolt them together again not in a successful yeah. way because you're right one is overwhelmingly almost aggressively christmasy with the montages yeah. and the good feelings yeah. and the other one is a bit of fun and games with Dudley Moore playing an elf and John Lithgow playing a pantomime villain and, and as and, good as and as good as they are as good as John Lithgow is yeah. it's it's not it's not an in, it's not an interesting story no, it's not no. it doesn't hold your attention as much i don't i don't think in that particular context i mean there's there's a there's a there's a modern tendency in um biographical films to um instead of um showing the story of an individual through their life that they pick a particular um challenge yeah. that they have had to to deal with you know so i'm thinking uh, well um Darkest Hour is one example. You know, it's a film ostensibly about Winston Churchill, but it yeah. isn't actually about Winston Churchill per se. It's about a particular seat, a particular 
period in time yeah. in Winston. And this is the same. We have Steve actually. Jobs, it's, it's, Ali. They all. Yeah, you, yeah. you think you're watching Mandela, Long Walk? Yeah, it, you know, they've, it, it, yeah, it's taking a specific thing. So actually, if you you know you were talking about the a kind of prototype of the modern superhero film, yeah. perhaps it's also a prototype of the modern biographical movie as well. In the sense that it doesn't Santa Claus <laughs> the movie. You might expect to have Santa Claus's early childhood <laughs> um, through through to his his his, his angst ridden teenage years where he hated making toys and he actually you know <laughs> broke the toys and he was mean to children um he didn't talk to his mum and dad he's he's kind of like progressive um liberal arts style 20s and 30s he's more conservative older but you know he grows into but no it's actually it's 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 the part of santa claus's life where he dies and becomes santa claus. obviously the most important and interesting part of his life yeah he appears fully formed he has the beard the yeah. reindeer the sack of toys exactly. they just yeah. supercharge him into the the immortal figure yeah <laughs> so may, may, maybe santa claus movie has, has had a far bigger influence <laughs> on the trajectory of cinema than we we, we definitive we, yeah it's definitive yeah it is yeah but, I mean, for me for me the the the, the the Christmas aspect of the first 45 minutes worked fantastically well, but I don't think it could have been longer than that. No. I don't know what they would have done more that would have kind of given it any more. They needed to move away, but they moved away in a, in a method that didn't really work in that particular context for me. The second half was, was, could, yeah. it was, it was okay, but yeah. it, it, you know, I'd say after 45 minutes, I was thinking, yeah, you know what? This is, this is pretty good. <laughs> this is all right. I'm enjoying this. And after the film, I was thinking, oh, you know, it was, it was all right. Yeah. And I think, <laughs> It was almost a reluctance to give Santa any flaws or the yeah. stuff he could really work with. He's, he is Santa throughout. He never has a doubt. And to look at other screen Santas, I was thinking of Miracle on 34th Street, where Richard Attenborough yeah. Santa is much more rounded because he has yeah. moments of weakness, moments of doubt. He's human. He's human, isn't yeah. he? That's the thing. Yeah. He's, he's a human being. He's not Santa Claus, which is yeah. but again, effect, that, effectively yeah. some kind of alien being, actually. Yeah. And that is effectively... But that's the miracle on 34th Street is a moment in Santa Claus's life. It's not yes. the whole story of Santa Claus. Ah, that's which true again, as well. This, this yeah. film's ambition is we're going to do Santa Claus. And we're going to do mm. it. We're going to do the, the, the Coca-Cola Santa Claus that you know and love. You'll see him yeah. in this movie. You'll see the reindeer. You'll see that fatty, fat jolly man. You'll yeah. get a lot. There, there, there are a couple of there are a couple of other things that I found might be worth mentioning about yeah. the film as well. So you, you, you spoke about some particular points in the film at which you thought this could go in a t- into a very dark um, and disturbing kind of uh, plot development that the pulling the gun out on, on Joe and, and, and Corny for example that the leaving patch and Joe to to fall to their deaths from from the um, from the from the car that the grinding down of the children's bones and feeding them to the to the reindeer and 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 the children floating off into space yeah, having yes, eaten. I should be a script doctor really this, this, you this should well, <laughs> this well the interesting <laughs> the interesting thing is is that um, Ilya Salkin's first choice as director for the film was John Carpenter <laughs> and and that that's that's absolutely real and the the John Carpenter version of Santa Claus the movie I think would have had all of those elements <laughs> in the film and it is a film that I would absolutely love to see and the reason why John Carpenter and it, it wasn't that um, Ilya Salkin turned John Carpenter down John Carpenter turned the movie down on the basis that he, was, he wasn't he was given complete control over the narrative arc of the film and he wasn't allowed to compose the soundtrack so those were the reasons why he turned it down so it was very likely at some point that John Carpenter would have directed the film and if the first choice for Santa Claus would have been um, chosen as well, he would have directed Brian Dennehy 
as the Santa Claus. So can you imagine a film which has Brian Dennehy as the Santa Claus and John Carpenter as the director? It would it would have been as a children's Christmas film. That is a film I need to watch that film. Oh that needs to be made. Somebody, somebody stump up the money to give John Carpenter a film to make his version of Santa Claus the movie. I want to see that. I'm not sure if Brian um, Dennehy's available anymore. <laughs> No, yeah, maybe not. Maybe, yeah, John Goodman, maybe. And, yeah, I suppose the other thing there is that David Huddleston, I've not seen him in anything else other than the as the. He's, he's been in two films that I've seen, and both he plays the eponymous character, Santa Claus <laughs> the movie, and The Big Lebowski. Yeah, um, and he's good in both of them, to be honest. We should he's, talk about David good. Huddleston. We, we've not really dwelt on him. I think he does okay as Santa. I think he's he's what's required to be Santa. Can I can I be honest? Yep. I think David, David Huddleston is a brilliant Santa Claus in this film. I think he... I When I think of Santa Claus, actually, I think of David Huddleston, which is a really stupid thing, but he, he is completely ingrained into the into my bones as Santa Claus. He, the, the, you, know, you, know, you know, your you know, memories are supposed to create kind of ridges in your brain. They're kind of physical, dense. One of those ridges is David Huddleston as Santa Claus. <laughs> I think he's perfect, actually. For what he's for what he's given, yeah. he's perfect to Santa Claus, particularly in those first forty minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's great. I think he's absolutely fantastic in it. It's just a shame that he's only third on the bill behind John Lithgow and Dudley Moore. Well, he is, despite being despite the film being about him. I mentioned earlier that there's there's a lot of product placement in it, um, and there's there's one particular scene which. Um, it's my favourite. It's my favourite scene in the film. Um, it's where Joe is wandering the streets and he's obviously hungry. And he he stands outside a McDonald's and um, he, sta- he stands outside the McDonald's. The scene goes on for about three minutes. It's yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. It's really quite poignant. And he stands outside and he's looking in. And then the camera moves from outside the McDonald's to inside the restaurant, looking out at Joe. And then the and then the cat. It's it's it's. it's um, Tarkovsky in it, it's beauty and it's slow pace. It moves away from Joe and it pans into uh, in a couple of scenes of children having their happy meals and then it focuses on one particular family. There's a child and a woman and they're sat down at the table and this woman, she takes about eight chips <laughs> out, of, out of the packaging and stuffs them all in her mouth. It's the most, it's the most unrealistic chip-eating acting I mean, people don't eat chips like that. You don't just take a big handful of chips and stuff them in your mouth. Wait, I, <laughs> you know, I don't. I, I, mean, I, mean, I don't know. It's so bad about the way I eat chips. I'm really hungry. <laughs> She's like, it, it's like you know, you know, um, when you're being asked, just act, just act that you're talking to your child. So she's obviously not saying anything because the music's going on in the background. So you can't hear what she's saying. She's moving her mouth. Just act, eating, you know, eating some chips. That's fine. So she makes a, like a shovel full of chips and just shoves them all in her mouth. And I looked at her and thought, what, what's going on here? Is this a comedy scene or something? You don't think that was meant to show that these people have access to all the food they want and therefore can eat chips with a band? <laughs> you know, it, it did, it did smack of gluttony. Yeah. Um, it, well, it was interesting. Like but yeah, it was, it was a long lingering shot on McDonald's, and again, all you need to do is establish Joe is hungry, and it was very yeah. much yeah. everyone's having a grand old Christmas in McDonald's. Yeah, exactly. And here's another bit: the Diet Coke scene as well. There's another oh, one. Yeah. That's, it's in there. It, um, I want you to ask um, you about the what you thought of um, how the film looked as well, because it's a big budget, yeah. and it's it, it costs fifty million US dollars in in 1985, yeah. and um, that, to give, to give I mean, context, I mean, what's, what, yeah. would that, what would that buy in '85? I mean, let's say, surely Back to the Future was made for less than that. Star Wars yeah. was certainly so, made yeah. for less than that. So, so I've, I've done a bit of research on yeah. this, and if, if, okay, 
the most expensive film of all time at that time yeah. was Superman. And that cost $55 million in 1978. Okay, <laughs> So at the time of it being made, it would have been maybe the third, second, third or fourth most expensive film ever made. Ever made! Santa Claus the movie! <laughs> what? So as an example, Back to the Future and The Goonies yeah. together cost less. And, and, and the thing for me is, so Back to the Future cost $19 million and Goonies cost $19 million each. Yeah. Each. Just under $40 million for the pair. And Santa Claus movie cost $50 million. In, in today's money, it would be about 115 to $120 million. It would probably be in the top 75 to 100 most expensive films of all time. And it made $20 million. It was a huge financial crash. And for, uh, a failure. And for me, other than, other than the flying, yeah. And the kind of the, the the composition of some of the early scenes, I don't see where the money went. No, um, yeah, I was going to say that the filmmaking, the, sometimes the camera work doesn't look top notch. It, it does vary between studio and external shots. Um, yeah, they didn't. They didn't it, yeah, they didn't spend it on the stars because yeah, what did they spend the money on? I mean, they must have spent the money on the reindeer. Like, the, and I mean that genuinely. That, yeah. it, 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 that must have been an expensive process. And um, it was the thirty ninth biggest grossing film of 1985 39th behind one behind weird science which cost seven million dollars and one above the care bears movie which cost two million dollars so we are talking we are talking one of the biggest flops in cinema cinematic history which i think is unfair i I think it's unfair i think it had too much money thrown at it i think it's a it's a 20 million dollar movie and that's the problem it is it looked like $20 million it cost 50 I think maybe it had a lot of production issues then because maybe yeah because I'm thinking maybe they maybe, I'm guessing they, they hired Dudley Moore for star power because this was Dudley Moore off the back of Arthur and 10 yeah um, yeah. So, and so he, he would have been a big star at the time yeah I think they, maybe they had the same thoughts as they hired Gene Hackman for Superman he lends it a touch of class they do mm. the same for Dudley Moore but again Dudley Moore was you know Patch the Elf was never going to sell the movie no um, and also he's yeah it's um and also, again, the audience isn't going to go, oh, Dudley Moore, I loved it in, in 10. Yeah, no, that bit yeah. and, and I suppose unlike unlike films like Back to the Future, which you know was made for a significantly smaller budget and have um, kind of lasted, they've stood the test of time, I guess, really, is yes. that the the actors, I mean, other than John Lithgow, perhaps, but he's not a well, he's not a household name, I would say. So he's more of a character actor. Yeah. But, you know, Dudley Moore, David Huddleston, then they're not, they're not, you don't say, for example, Superman the movie starring X in the same way that you might say Back to the Future starring Michael J. Fox or Indiana Jones starring Harrison Ford. They still hold some kind of kudos. Yeah. That's not the film's fault because it's not to know what they're going to be doing in the future. Yeah. But it's, it just doesn't have any of that kind of star quality, I don't think. It, but basically, it's, a, it's again, Care Bears the movie. It's probably that level. It's the movie that children who are 10 and younger will go and see. But yeah. teenagers wouldn't go and see it, and yeah, yeah. that's that's your Back to the Future crowd. Um, so yeah. it's not going to print itself in. So you'd get your family tickets sold, and that's yeah. about it. Adults but wouldn't it, see yeah. it. It's, it's but I can't. But fifty million dollars. Yeah. I mean, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I think that probably speaks to a troubled production. Yeah, Brian Dennehy yeah. would be dragging it out for a long time. <laughs> yeah, John Carpenter had filmed eight death scenes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it is a film of two halves for me, of which the first half is very good and of which the second half doesn't quite work as well and it is clearly 
it is clearly a superhero film. Uh, and that, that's what it is. It is tapping into that kind of Superman superhero process that, that was popular at the time. That was a kind of like a winning formula, except that it didn't win on this occasion because it didn't have an antagonist. It didn't have that moral threat, I guess. Yeah. And again, ultimately, it's about a figure that's beloved by children under 10 and then not really after that age. And that, yeah, I, I, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I thought it would have... I thought it would have longer lasting appeal because it's something that you might wheel out every Christmas. And if I'm honest, it's something that I probably will do from now on. Having revisited it, yeah. I I, ha- I enjoyed I enjoyed I enjoyed revisiting an old friend yeah. who I'd forgotten about. And I'll do that when Robin grows up a little bit. And I think it will be a nice experience. Um, it, 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 it's it's no Back to the Future though. <laughs> it's, it's no Superman the movie. So there it is. Let's let's yeah. now go to the judgment, and then yeah. we'll announce what we'll be viewing next. We come to the judgment where we will score each film between one and five crombies, disembodied floating crombie heads. Um, yeah. So one obviously being the lowest, five being the, the highest. Uh, so James, would you like to give it how many crombies out of five? Yeah, and just to point out that um, if if people don't understand what a crombie is, that's okay. Um, it, it, you'll never know. It's, it's fine. It's not essential um, to your enjoyment of no. this podcast. Um, so I, I I will be giving Santa Claus the movie three crombie heads. Three crombie heads. Uh, and your justification for that? Um, it sparked some feelings in me that were nostalgic but not in a bad way it's a film that i think i remember fondly and i still have those fond memories intact and because of that it must it must have something about it okay and my score i concur i would also give it three crumbies out of five Mm. i think structurally it is not a good film but it is a very fun film and yeah. you, you again, it gets in and out within the two hours. That's always important for a film that is yeah. huge. Shorter than this podcast. Shorter than this podcast. You could have actually sat down and watched Santa Claus the movie rather than listen to it, which I probably recommend doing. I, I'm going to live saying Santa Claus the movie is more entertaining than uh, yeah. than the two of us talking for an hour and forty. Oh, yeah, I'm um, sure. But it did, well, we didn't pay fifty million dollars to do so. So there's that. <laughs> no, no. Um, so it's, it's, it's a it's a not a it's not a good movie. It is a fun movie, and it's. It's, it's, you'll enjoy yourself watching it. So that's, here's your three floating crumbies. Um, Brilliant. So now we'll find out what film... So this next film will be in February. We do one a month. And now James has the chair. He will choose the film we're going to watch. I am in the dark as to what this is. So you, you can await my gasp of horror. James, what are yeah. we going to be watching? So um, I have chosen as the February Weekend at Crombies film, Phantom of the Paradise. That's Phantom of the Paradise. Um, And Phantom of the Paradise is a Brian De Palma film from the mid-70s. It is a musical, it is a horror, and it is a comedy. And it is a film directed by Brian De Palma that I have not seen. I have not only not seen it, I've never heard of it. It sounded like you were just putting together verbs. <laughs> well, it, we, will, we will get on to the discussion of why I've chosen it and what the title means and what it is like in the next podcast, but it is Phantom of the Paradise. Phantom of the Paradise. I look forward to it. Um, I look forward to discussing it. And just uh, to wrap this up then, thank you all for listening. 
Uh, we thank you for listening to our normal podcast. If you made it through to the end, congratulations. Uh, <laughs> I feel like we need a uh, we need we need a kind of like a closing catchphrase, don't we? And I, I don't know what it is. If you think of one, we'll edit it in. Um, but yeah. if not, we'll just say enjoy your weekend at Crombies. <laughs> Evening all. Bye bye.